Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on May 16, 2018, focusing on today's emerging technologies for tax reform readiness. The panelists for the webcast were Jeff Lauer, a PwC tax partner in our tax reporting and strategy group, Mike Engel, a PwC advisory partner leading our advisory intelligent process automation robotics practice, Michelle Lee, a PwC tax partner focusing on intelligent process automation robotics for tax, and Dr. Bjornberg, a PwC tax partner leading our advanced analytics and innovation practice. This excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists on the use of robotics by tax functions, as well as use cases of companies using emerging technologies with respect to tax reform. Take a listen. Okay, so robotics. So um, again, uh, something you know very uh, dear to my heart, and I've been working in this space with you, Mike, and others last several years. Learned a lot. Um, so maybe what I wanted to do was kind of break it down into a couple different things. You know, I think for you know, I think for the most part, a lot of people are familiar with the the term, but the vernacular. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to kind of put it into my words, right? So when I hear this word robotics, what does that mean? Um, so first thing I know, it is not is um, I don't know, I'm going to date myself again, but you know, back in the day when I used to watch Jetsons, right? So the robot, Rosie, I think was the name. <laughs> We're not talking about Rosie, right? A, uh, a physical animate object here. We're talking about software um, and a great software that has a lot of kind of use cases and application in the tax department. Another way of saying it is this, um, the software, it has eyes, it has fingers. It doesn't have a brain, because I know we use terms like AI, machine learning. So it can't take decisions and you know, make, um, take any actions without you telling it what to do. So you have to be pretty prescriptive in the task that you want this robot to do, right? But if you step back and think about, well, we do a lot of benchmarking surveys. I mean, when we look at across a finance organization, including tax, of course, you know, there's 40 plus percentage of work that are pretty routine and doesn't require any expertise or um, allow us to really use the, our kind of degrees, right? We went to, got our masters in accounting or in tax, uh, but we're not really able to use it in that 40% of the work, right? Mm -hmm. It is yeah. really kind of pulling the data. So more specifically around um, RPA and, and Mike, you know, feel free to chime in, but you know, we're, we're, when we're thinking about use cases, I mean, as you see on the screen in terms of where the prime use cases are, uh, we say repetition, mm -hmm. right? So repetition in terms of tasks. So we often look to the tax world. I think we've looked at sales and use, kind of something that you have to do on a monthly basis, on a global basis, VAT, right? So monthly filing. So we love that as a use case. Uh, rules-based process. So when we say rules-based in this context, we're not talking about complex rules, right? We're talking about simple business if-then rules, right? If I see this word, I take this action, right? Which is a lot of what we do in Excel, right? Manipulating data. Um, and I think the other exciting part is working across application. So that's really important because I think most of our clients tell us that they're not working with one source system. Unfortunately, even if you have an ERP system, it could be many different instances over acquisitions, right, transactions and growth. Um, unfortunately, they're um, accessing multiple uh, sets of data. So just being able to uh, then, you know, log in, 
get, gather that information, download it, and then using one of the automate data automation tools right. to then transform the data, right? It's really kind of looking at it in combination. So um, I, I already kind of gave, a, alluded to the use case around sales and use VAT as really an area where a lot of people have gravitated towards. If we look at income tax, um, especially with tax reform now, I think more people are saying, well, I think there's an opportunity because it's not a once a year, right, exercise of just putting a number on a return, but it's more about can I gather the data from a reporting standpoint and writing some of the guilty and B calculation more on a frequent basis. So it's really changed the, the dynamics of looking at this kind of um, automation, Mm -hmm. Even in, and then I think it's really prime now because of especially with tax reform. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, some examples that you've done with tax reform going forward. But you know, a lot of my clients uh, ask to see what does this stuff look like. Yes. Um, so maybe uh, why don't we take this? And we're going to show you about a minute and a half quick video here of uh, some robotics with some snappy PwC music in the background <laughs> for you. That's right. Um, and we'll pivot over to. Uh, this is a VAT example. Yes, yep. okay, a VAT great. example. But just to give you a sense of, you know, the bot. And if you look at it, you may say, well, it's just uh, anybody like a person doing the work. But if you could kind of see it and look beyond that, um, that's what we're asking for here. Okay. Take Let's it away. Let's roll the demo. Okay, I think we're back. 
All right. So um, I don't know what uh, everyone's reaction to the the little demo here, but you know, again, we like to you know, for those of you who haven't seen a demonstration of how the robotics works, I think a couple of key takeaways is you know, if you saw it's logging into multiple systems, it wasn't just one system. It's you know, entering some basic information that all of us do, right? Again, you're not really applying advanced technical tax technical skills. But it's sort of that baseline work that we, if we could save and, and minimize, uh, that's really kind of what we're focused at. And, and I think there's it's right for opportunities. And there's more, many more around that. Again, when we're talking about VAT, sort of the traditional, or around gathering data and accessing it from a tax reform standpoint. And it's kind of fun when you see people build it. You saw this from an ERP and SAP standpoint, sure. running stuff. But when people really start deploying it themselves, one of the cool things is they start putting it in everywhere. Yeah. I was sitting over my right. shoulder, one of my directors, and he had made a beautiful little bot, and it took him a half an hour to do, and it opens up his email every morning, looks for the names of his bosses, then it scans all the text out and puts them on the sticky note on the screen. So the first thing he does every morning, because he checks his email every morning, mm -hmm. he says, I'm going to run this little bot, and I'm going to look at the sticky note, and then I know what I need to do. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of automation, on, even of a desktop, small tasks. Yes. But these tools, once you start building them, they permeate across all the tools, right. all the stuff that you do is repetitive, you want to get rid of. Right. And that's, in some ways, right, how you start even changing the culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And then when you think about combining them, you know, giving, uh, if you're using a robot to go in and grab, you know, data, manipulate that data, you could send it through Excel to do the calculation, or you could send it through one of these automation tools, and now that robot just became that much more powerful. So thinking about how we package those up. So Mike, do you want to take us through uh, just a little bit of a thought around, you know, how this, you know, how the trajectory works within yeah. an organization? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it kind of brings it all together, all these kind of discussions we've been having here, right? What would you do with the capacity that we might be able to create using this type of automation? And I think the key thing here is that the interaction model is changing. How we, how we work, how we, how we interact with our computer is changing. And we're not trying to necessarily imply that we should be automating everything. I like mm -hmm. the idea of automating emails. That's pretty cool. That might help with the 14,000 unread emails that I currently have. But, but in any case, we're not trying to boil the ocean here with this type of small automation. Um, and when we think about digital labor and going back to your Rosie point, what would you have Rosie do mm -hmm. if you had her, right? And maybe you would use her for a typical robotics type of uh, automation where we're basically replacing what we do. Right? Mm -hmm. That 40% comes from. On the other hand, particularly as we start to add on the intelligent components of this, maybe what we're doing is we're augmenting what we do. Uh, in this case, we're talking about tax modeling, supervised decision support. Right? So if I had my robot just do some of the thinking for me, what would I ask Rosie to provide to me? That's a good put, point. Right. And, and this is kind of the, the interplay between humans and computers. Mm -hmm. If you see this slide, for instance, the descriptive, the diagnostic, the predictive, the Typically what happens, the algorithm runs, the predictive modeling, whatever you do, even if it's Excel, and then humans takes it from then and actually makes it actionable and move it forward. For most people going into the digital labor, most of them will start probably with supervised. Mm -hmm. They'll have the, the bots doing things, we validate it, we do on some checks, some reconciliations before we release it to the systems we want to go for. Mm -hmm. But long term what we'll see in the automation is the holy grail is basically taking humans out of the equation. Mm -hmm. Once we have a repetitive process that's robust, that's stable, that doesn't change on a frequent basis, there's really no reason to have humans involved anymore. Yeah. That process I mean, not, can be automated all the way right, through. Right. We're not replacing the human, nope. 
but um, the, the role of, I think, the human workforce will be different. So there's definitely a role, it's just more redefining um, and evaluating the skill sets that I think, you know, Berg, you're gonna get into a little bit. Exactly, think about blue collar workers. Mm -hmm. Blue collar workers have already gone through the whole automation. Nobody spray paints the car anymore. Nobody mm -hmm. stands there and welds the seams on the car. Those are old robotics. Doesn't mean there's not humans there, but they're now overseeing the technology. They make sure it runs efficiently. They maintain preventive maintenance on the stuff. They also modify it depending on models. Mm -hmm. And then they do quality inspection when the data, the stuff comes out like a car. That's right. So blue-collar workers has already been automated over the last 25, 30 years. White-collar workers has not gone through that automation process. Right. We're not going to get rid of the white-collar worker. We're going to make their, their jobs much more meaningful. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a whole sense of collective intelligence, right? Having people do what they do best and it's, having the machines do what they do best, right? The same exact thing. It's the industrial component of that. I got a son who just graduated this weekend in accounting. And if I've told him that the next 40 years is going to be living in, in Excel spreadsheets, <laughs> I think he's going to apply for a job at a fast food restaurant. <laughs> so <laughs> when I tell him about these cool technologies he's going to get to work right. with and his work is going to be so much more meaningful, that's I right. think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, no doubt. When you talk to the folks coming out, out of campus, <clears throat> you know, they've got the bright eyes and, uh, you know, they're looking for that uh, out of the industry. And, you know, we, we, we typically think of, uh, you know, robotics, we showed the VAD and the indirect uh, example. There's lots of other, uh, you know, uses as well. So as, you know, clearly here we've listed out most of the areas in the tax function. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, Berg, you know, touching on the, you know, the uh, attended or unattended uh, framework, that really comes with a progression, right? But, you know, what are some of the tools, I guess, you know, as you're building in touch points, you know, that allows the user to interact, right? And Absolutely. over time, they become more familiar and, you know, those touch points can be more targeted. Is that what you typically see? Or? Yeah, so we went on this journey a few years ago. We looked at our, some of our best and brightest in our practices and we said, hey, can we upskill you? Can we get you all to learn these tools? So we, we did the toe in the water. Mm. We took a handful of people. But to date, we have 6,000 people that has gone to our internal training academies, learning data visualization, data automation tool. Mm. We took that to clients about a year and a half ago, and about 1,500 people have gone through that. Over 200 companies have gone through and seen these tools. I think you need to demystify it. It seems so complex. It seems so hard because that's what we were used to. But get, getting out of the idea that awareness and getting to proficiency, hands on the keyboard, do it yourself, learn it. And after that, you, I think the people themselves, the professionals, can then scale and find all these checkpoints, all these deliverables, all the develop, development, because they're much closer to the use case. They're living this day, day to day, instead of going out there and having, uh, trying to build like the, the ultimate uh, tools. Can you try, imagine trying to build the ultimate spreadsheet to solve all problems, versus fracturing the problem and put the tool in the hand of people instead? Uh -huh. Okay, so with tax reform, uh, maybe I'll take a minute and just uh, uh, you know lay the framework for what a typical uh, data flow or environment might look like, and then Michelle, maybe we can talk about sure. some of your experiences in uh, automating this for clients. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've talked about uh, a lot of the data that comes together. Uh, you know, when we think about tax reform, um, you know, it's data outside of tax, it's data we haven't typically collected, and it's coming from a lot of sources, like guilty, for example, 17, 18, typically different disparate sources, all at volume, beat, dozen, 14 different data sources. So 
and it's going into our operational colleagues to get that information. So you see over here on the left, a lot of data we've got to get together, right? And, you know, frankly, uh, you know, we would have normally done that with Excel and created a massive time-consuming process. So as that data comes out and moves into the analysis, you'll see some of the tools coming into play there with the data optimization and automation. That's some of your robotics taking the tool, the data out of these systems, positioning that data, leveraging that into some of the automation uh, tools to take it the next step, and pushing that into uh, your tax reform calculations. PwC's got uh, their beacon uh, uh, calculation engine. A lot of our clients have built their own. And then ultimately taking those results and pushing them into visualization so we can actually see what's happening in the calculations communicated to management um, and, uh, you know, see the scenario. So that's typically, you know, what we would see at a high level. You know, if we move down into a specific um, use case, Michelle, maybe you can talk about um, you know, how you've brought that to light at some clients. Sure. So um, I think there's a couple, I mean, I think there's, as you could see on this screen, uh, a couple different categories, right? So, but I think what our, most of our clients are saying is, well, it's not individual separate um, calculations, but you really have to look at it as a whole. Um, and as Jeff alluded to on the prior page, uh, one of my clients, they had their own model built. Got it. Then they added on first their a visualization tool. And through their visualization tool, what it helped them realize is kind of started questioning the quality of their data, right? So they got the, the model, they have an output, they're saying, hmm, something doesn't feel and look right here. So th then they, that forced them to kind of evaluate and work backwards and to say, well, you know, I've gotten away with, you know, filing my 5471, 5772s and kind of been okay from a certain compliance standpoint. But now with the demand for level of legal entity, right, detail, no real materiality threshold, looking at it by jurisdiction. So that level of specific detail that's required is putting that scrutiny and pressure on getting that data correct. So, um, you know, so I could give a couple of examples, but I think th that one in particular was, was very eye-opening because they didn't start by saying, oh, let me go find all my data sources. They said, I have a good model, let me look at my output, <laughs> which again, opened their eyes and said, maybe I need a pressure test and see the quality of my data. So I think that's one example, but it really does get down to, you know, start getting into the conversation of, well, if you're doing a beat ca calculation and we say, all right, well, let me look at my royalty. Well, unfortunately, there isn't a single type of royalty. You could have maybe a uh, sales-based royalty or royalty-based associated with manufacturing, right? So even categorizing and, and what, what companies are realizing is that it's not just a matter of um, finding those three line items, but to say, well, is the data even available? Maybe it's not sitting nicely in an ERP system. Mm -hmm. Maybe I need to go make those phone calls. But just assessing what that, um, that, that uh, kind of doing a self-assessment on that, I think, is, is what the exercise companies have been going through. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of uh, the data coming in from the subledgers. You right. know? So you're at that transaction uh, level detail. And, you know, it's either somebody in tax or in another area of the company is either going to have to go out and manually go grab all that data mm -hmm. and bring it all together, or we can use the robots and the automation sure. tools to tee this up for our analysis. And as you can see on this slide here, 
uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot of interaction with how these, these, tool, these calculations work together. So, you know, as you consider the breadth of the data, being able to go get that out in a systematic way, getting that efficiently, but then also being able to use some of the visualizations to see the push and pull mm -hmm. on these different calculations, uh, you know, as you're running, running the models is going to be very important. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about getting started. And, uh, you know, we'll, I'll talk about this in the context of, uh, you know, just some broad categories, you know, and you know, I think it kind of starts with understanding, you know, what you need to do. So what are the challenges ahead of you? What are the pain points, you know, that you're experiencing and trying to get this done? We went through Q1, we went through year end. Most tax organizations now know what they're going to be facing in order to do tax reform, uh, you know, in an efficient way going forward. You know, looking at our, our, is the team positioned well to take this on? Uh, do we have the governance in place to get the quality controls and to carry this forward? Um, you know, once, you know, do, what technology are we going to use, right? The three legs of the stool, how are those going to come together? And then, you know, how are we going to evaluate ourselves? You know, as we look in the organization and, you know, report up to our stakeholders, you know, how are we showing that we're stewarding uh, the company's resources forward in the right way? So maybe, uh, Michelle, do you want to talk about uh, getting started and, um, you know, maybe what some of the effort is there? Yeah, so, um, you know, as you said, I'm going to kind of couple getting started and ROI. <laughs> Even though ROI may be on the back end, it's sort of really thinking about that up front and saying, what is the value I want to derive from it, right? So is it um, saving cash? Is it saving time? Is it managing risk, right? Like really defining that up front and coupling that with your pain points because they do go hand in hand before you start solutioning and thinking about what mix of sort of the tools and how I'm going to address some of the things. So I always kind of look at that um, two together. Yeah, and the other thing is this, that a lot of people jump straight to the tools because they're so, so snazzy and cool. Uh, upskill people. Mm -hmm. Get people fingers on the keyboard, upskill them first, and then go through the tool selection. Whether you pick one data visualization and wants to switch to the other, it really isn't that hard. Mm -hmm. But get people upskilled first and invest in your people, and then go out and pick the tools. Right. Yeah, I think from a, from a governance perspective, Again, we're calling this small automation, but that doesn't mean it's end-user computing, right? We do have to have some somebody watching the store here. Um, so thinking through, defining who's involved, what are the roles and responsibilities, thinking about things like security, thinking about, as we talked about before, kind of what is the impact on my organization? This is a different way of looking at it. And controls, right? And I mean, controls. to the extent that we're changing or using, introducing a tool, what does that mean from a third-party auditor standpoint? Um, you know, what's the lens that they're going to bring? And so I, when I think of a governance, I always, you know, got to think about the third-party auditors. One thing's good, <laughs> we don't do that necessarily in spreadsheets, but in this automation tool, you build it yourself, you test against data sets, and then you do a structured walkthrough and approval session. You bring your rest of the tax team in, you tell them what you build, you document what you build, and you get their input before you put it in the production. That's right. Yeah, and then the last two, I'll just take, you know, on the technology, we talked about the toolkit, and then, of course, you have to balance the ROI. So, you know, how do you prioritize, and where do you uh, attack first? So, so Berg, um, mate, why don't you describe, uh, talk a little bit about upscaling uh, the workforce and some of the things you've done uh, with the academies? Sure. So, what we've done internally, first, like I said, we trained 6,000 people internally, but some of our clients were telling us that it's not enough that we are cool, you need to make us cool, too. 
so about a year and a half ago, we started client academies. We've done it in 11 major cities. About 50 companies have done individual academies. Initially, we trained them on data automation and data visualization. But lately, we also bring them a separate academy that focuses on robotics and desktop automation and also on, uh, on data visualizations. So we have two sets of academies. And right now, 15, 1,600 people have gone through that internally. Again, it's all about upskilling people. So mm -hmm. we don't just parachute people in to kind of take over the functions. The reality, our clients will do most of the work anyway. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you.